Hi, we are Generation Z Collective, Coco, Emron, Nile, and Yasmin. This is the Descendant Talks podcast at the National Maritime Museum, Greenwich. A series of conversation with creatives who are descendants of the Windrush generation. This is Sunday the 23rd of October 2022. I'm Emma. And I'm Nile. We're at the National Maritime Museum in Greenwich with Charlie Brinkhuskar. This is the Descenders Talk, and we're talking to Charlie, who is an award-winning journalist, editor, host, author. Um, so welcome, Charlie. Thank <laughs> you for having me. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for coming. So um, my first question for you is, did you always want to write, and would you say attending university helped you with this in any way? Yeah, definitely. So I think growing up, like... I'm not sure if it's the same for you guys, but I read a lot. So I like always had my nose in a book, especially when I was a little kid. Um, and so I think my first dream actually was to be like a fiction writer because oh, I wanted yeah. to kind of oh, yeah. create the same worlds that I really got into. Um, and I don't know, what do you guys read these days? Like, what did you read growing up? Like, what books? I wrote, I wrote, read, <laughs> read Noughts and Crosses. Yeah. Um, I read books that talk about improving your future and stuff like that oh. motivational books mostly wow yeah. that's interesting i think that's you're the first like young person i've spoken to who's already on the motivational books hype. No, i really like them that's they're cool. really nice yeah How about you? um so yeah when i was really young i wasn't a massive reader until my dad was like okay come on you start reading so i read this one book and i got into um he bought me like a whole series of Mallory blackman books oh, cool. so yeah i've read all of the north crosses books i've literally i promise you there isn't one book that i haven't read of hers oh. and then like i started reading other the books and then it got to a point where like I was reading books by authors which didn't really reflect me or my culture so then again like during Christmas and like birthdays my family and relatives would get me books mainly by black authors as well so I started reading um, other books as well so like till this time I've read like autobiographies. I've read Akala's book, and I've also read. Um, my dad made me read Malcolm X autobiography. That <laughs> so was my so dad. Long. Yeah, yeah. It's so long. like, I really read like nonfiction books. I read a lot of autobiographies, and I've read your book as well. Yeah, you guys are like literally miles ahead of where I was. I, <laughs> I was not reading nonfiction up until university. Like I, I was like, stay away from me, um, which is obviously ironic because then I've gone on to be journalism, which yeah. is nonfiction. But yeah, to answer your question, sorry. Um, yes, I, I realised I wanted to be a writer from a young age and then going to uni, I decided to study English literature because I thought that was quite a clear pathway into sort of a world that I was interested in. Um, and, you know, I was classic story, first meet in my family to go to university. I remember you were just telling me before we started rolling about um, going up to an open day yeah. to university. <laughs> I don't know if you've been to any recently as well, but, um, but yeah, my dad took me on this like road trip from Scotland, which is where I grew up, down the country. Yeah. And we didn't know that open days were a thing. Because, oh, okay. like, it, if you're kind of growing up with family who are not like kind of part of that world, why would I know what an open yeah. day is? And, yeah. you know, I mean, maybe we could have Googled it, but we didn't. So like, <laughs> we stopped off at all these different universities and basically bullied the staff into like letting us like, In. speak to someone. Yeah. <laughs> but they were kind of like, why are you here? Like, I'm just, I just want to see you. What's going on? <laughs> I remember coming to Greenwich, actually. We came to Greenwich University. Um, but my favourite university um, that I went to on that kind of little road trip with my dad was Goldsmiths, which is just down the road. Oh, yeah. In Deptford. Yeah. In Deptford. Like oh, yeah. New Cross, sorry. Yeah. yeah. In New Cross. So um, you've used your voice to highlight the injustices faced by the Windrush generation. 
and told stories of black and brown girls through your writing. Um, so what was it that started your pro-activism on topics about black identity? Yeah, I think, um, again, it's quite like a classic story, but growing up sort of somewhere in, in Scotland, which at the time when I was younger was, um, was not a very diverse place, uh, I felt very sort of isolated in, in who I was. And, you know, obviously my mum is black and I live with her and my auntie is her twin sister. And I lived with my mum, my auntie and my dad growing up. But I think just e even though she and my dad actually were very kind of um, encouraging of me sort of coming to terms with my identity and who I was as a you know mixed race black woman, um, it's, it wasn't enough and there was a lot of racism and there was a lot of prejudice towards people with darker skin tones mm -hmm. in Scotland. I'm sure there still is to this very day. So it was a journey and I think when I came back down to London, so when I was 17, that's when I came to uni, um, I was very desperate to kind of like reconnect with what I understood my heritage to be and I felt like, I felt quite bitter about the fact that I'd never been to Jamaica. Like I didn't know very much about the Windrush generation and all these things and so, um, it was it was on my mind and I tried to, when I was doing my English literature degree, for instance, um, there was, Goldsmiths is really unique because it was one of the few universities that does a like module in um, black Caribbean women's writing, which was oh, like incredible. Really yeah, I, you know, it's not something that most people have access to. So by my third year, I was doing that module and like reading all the stuff and like coming to understand a bit more about colonialism and empire and Windrush and all, all these things. and. Um, that combined with like, you know, this burgeoning love for journalism and I sort of got involved with my student newspaper and magazine and um, and then then uh, just when I left university this uh, this publication was started called Gaudam um, and Gaudam's remit was specifically to look at um, the experiences and, and, and stories of, of black and brown women and at the time, non-binary people, we've now kind of expanded it to like people of marginalised genders. And so that was like perfect because I just felt like having seen bits and pieces of the journalism industry and seen how little space was given to stories that affected people like me, but also other people whose, whose stories were very different to mine, but, but similarly marginalised, um, I wanted to sort of be part of that. So yeah, that's kind of why I involved in that sort of work. Have you been to Jamaica recently? I'm actually going in two weeks so yeah Ooh, it should be okay. good yeah for a month and that'll be like the longest stretch of time that I've spent there um but yeah I've been twice before now so I went in 2016 yeah. and then I went again in 2018. How was your so. first experience there? Yeah this is going to yeah, be interesting. It was interesting well the thing is because I think growing up with identity issues <laughs> <laughs> Um, I was like, oh, I'm going to go to Jamaica, it's going to be like the mother life, I'm going to find my home there. Got off the plane, obviously I don't, I don't fit in there, yeah. I don't know anyone there. <laughs> it's a completely different country and, you know, if anything, it actually made me feel a bit more British because I was like, oh shoot, okay, like, you know, I, I, <laughs> I am actually tied to the country of my birth. But saying that, it was still magical, it was still wonderful and it was really incredible to get to meet some of my relatives. It's really interesting that you say that because obviously um, I'm from a Ghanaian heritage and I lived in Ghana for one year. So when I went there, obviously being here, my grandparents are here and so are my parents. So I eat the Ghanaian food, I understand the language. So I thought, yeah, I know the culture. Yeah. When I got there, like, 
<laughs> I just felt so marginalized compared to everyone because it's like, wow, like I really learned a lot and I really felt really British because in here, I don't think I'm really British until I actually got there. So that experience, I actually understand what you mean by that. So it's kind of funny. I yeah. yeah. When I went to Nigeria, basically, um, they really pinpointed I had an accent and I assumed that I didn't have an accent, but they were like, oh, you have an accent, you're different from us. And I was like, that's crazy because that's like supposed to be my home place. Yeah. But I felt more closer to like London and being British. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's almost like London specifically as well. Isn't yeah. It? It's, like, it's maybe not like, I don't know, some coastal but yeah, with town, yeah. but yeah, whatever it is, it's more like this is my home. Like, mm -hmm. and I feel comfortable here and good here. Like 90% of the time at least, so yeah. Um, so did the Windrush scandal have an effect on your family? I'd say that it didn't have an effect on my family directly, but it had an effect on the wider community that I'm part of. And that was very much reflected in the book that I put together, so um, Mother Country. Um, I think if you are a black British person, and especially if you're a black British person of um, Caribbean or West Indian heritage, you, it's very likely that you would have known someone or who knows someone or you directly, yeah, you know. Yes. Yeah, you know, someone who, who was who was negatively affected by the winter scandal. And I think also just the fear. That was something that permeated a lot of the interviews I did for the book, was that people felt so fearful of um, of retribution, of being kicked out of their of their motherland, of you know. And that was horrible because it's like in your eighties and your nineties you should be relaxing, you should be yeah. retired, you've done your work for yeah, the country and they're exactly. basically saying you don't like you yeah. worked for no reason. Yeah, yeah. And I think there was a lot of bitterness there, and I think, yeah, it was that bitterness was then compounded, and then that fear was compounded by by the fact that all these stories were kind of coming out of the woodworks. So. How does have you asked your nan about this? Like how she felt about it? Yeah, I think I think very briefly. Um, I don't see my nanny a lot because yeah. she doesn't have a particularly close relationship with my mum and auntie. But I think I do. I think I sort of brought her the book, oh. <laughs> um, and she. I think I, I actually wrote the. The um oh my goodness what do you call it you know the bit in the beginning the dedication oh yeah yeah the dedication in the book is to my nanny and to my granddad who I sadly never met because he died before I was born. What does the term home mean to you? Oh complicated yes. deep question guys. <laughs> um, home that's a good question. I think what I've realised as I've got older is like that home for me is a lot about a lot more about people than it is about place. Um, but in my ideal situation like home would be a place where I feel kind of completely at ease when I'm walking through the streets, where there is something to um, do and see all the time, and where all of my loved ones are just like there. Like if I could just transport everyone from Scotland yeah. to London, then that would be perfect for me. <laughs> what does home mean for you guys? Oh, obviously family is home so yeah. anywhere family is that's where home is mm. but mostly I would say London yeah yeah nice. with me I would say I don't know maybe it's because I spent time in Ghana and I spent time in here but like anything to do with like like you said family yeah. culture like culture is a big thing oh for me. yeah 100%. like I don't know maybe that's how like, you can differentiate me between people so yeah. like on my birthday I want African dress like yeah. to my friend's birthdays I always have to wear something that represents mm -hmm. Africa so like every just having that sense of community and culture 
around me as yeah, well. Yeah, and not feeling like yeah, you have to hide it. Like, because you're comfortable in your home, yeah. so culture is my home because I'm comfortable in it. So yeah, I like that. Okay, having written and edited for publications like New York Times, Days, The Guardian and Observer, how would you decide on a topic to write about? When I'm thinking of my own ideas, as in my career has not always been about my own ideas, it's also been about um, working with other people oh, on their ideas. Collaboration of ideas. Yeah, which oh, I've always loved so much. Yeah, I think that's like the best thing. Um, but yeah, in terms of like literally how I find stories and how I try and view them, um, I think it's, it, in a way it does just kind of come to you once you understand the parameters of the type of journalism that you're doing. So it's like, um, for instance, like I told you guys I'm going to Jamaica in a few months. And so I um, was like booking my accommodation and um, this woman started to tell me about this really sad story where um, the accommodation that I booked, it's like named uh, like after this woman. And so I thought it was going to be run by this woman, but it turned out that woman died last year due to COVID. Mm. And now the accommodation is being run by her 16 year old daughter. Um, and I was like, okay, damn, like that's like really, really sad. Mm. But that's also could be quite an interesting thing to write about because yeah. there's, um, there's multiple sort of layers to the story. It's like the layer of COVID, the layer of tourism in Jamaica and how hard it is for like um, black, women, black, you know, black women to run their own businesses when there's so many conglomerates and chains who have kind of taken over the island. Um, there's this narrative of this like very young woman who's yeah. like running. She's 16. Yeah, yeah. 16, yeah. Who's running. Pressure on everything. Yeah, exactly. So, so that, that was like, okay, your brain kind of kicks into gear and you're like, okay, yeah. that could be a story. And so I pitched that. To, um, to one of the publications I write for. As a former senior staff editor at the New York Times, would you say your Caribbean heritage and British culture gave you a different perspective from your colleagues at the time? Obviously, like they're all Americans. <laughs> so yeah, um, it was very different. Um, I think I was working on, uh, mainly working on a series called Black History Continued. Um, and it was fascinating because I was working with, with mainly with African Americans, um, I was like trying to get some like Black British voices in there as well. Yeah. But it, it's obviously it's a it's an American publication, um, and there was so much that I related to and so much that I understood, but like so much learning to be had on my part as well. Um, but I hope that I was able to bring, um, and I, and I kind of made a point of sort of saying this on and doing this on various occasions as like just a kind of slightly. Um, more zoomed out understanding of like the black diaspora, like at large. And um, I think any Western culture can be at risk of being myopic. And I think that like, I'm sure black British people could be accused of doing that, but we know that black Americans do that because yeah. they have got such a strong culture, which has been exploited in such a beautiful and bold and brilliant way. Um, but I think, it, I, I guess, I mean, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this, but like, I think certainly for me growing up, um, it felt easier often to tap into black American culture than it did to like whatever yeah, black British especially culture. Especially because of like what's on TV and the yes, media. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, was I do think that's changing. Like you know, you see do that. you? Yeah. Yeah. I think it is. You see, like Mel made me do it. That came out the other day with somebody. Oh. Like you know, there's there's definitely uh, it's nascent. Like it's at the beginning stages. But I think there is something really exciting happening in terms of how we as a collective are starting to create and like mould what yeah, black British yeah, yeah. culture is. Um, but I think, it's, I think the thing that's fascinating for me is that like, 
if you think that, so for all three of us, like, yeah. um, so our, our parents grew up in this country, um, but they had that really direct influence, as you yeah. say, for, from Nigeria, Ghana, Jamaica, whatever it is, through their parents. Mm -hmm. Whereas for us, we are a couple of steps removed from that, and that's only going to continue to happen, right? Is and we're like, if if any of us have children or like you know our friends have children, whatever it is, they're also going to be a bit more removed from mm, like that background. Yeah. And so I think that naturally, because of that, we will see a more like, for want of a better word, like coherent formation of what black Britishness is. Yeah. That is kind of. Um, yes takes influence from all these beautiful places that like are, are, we're descended from but it is its own thing and that that to me at least feels like it's already happening um do you think we need role models um who were your role models growing up and who do you think are role models for black and brown girls today and what are your opinions of the media portraying black females today especially to the younger generation I'm going to throw this one straight back at you guys because I'm really curious to know who you think your role models are at the moment, if you have any. Like, who's, who's your role model? I'm mostly influenced, as um, Miley was saying, you know how Stormzy and Dave, they've been putting out music that is political and also um, engaging the black community. But I'm sad to say that it's only men black role models that I have. I don't really have a black female one that's not American which is a surprise. With me, I don't think I've got like a set female, like, no, set female, a set person as a role model, because like with me, like people think I'm different, but compared to like other girls of my age, like I'm more interested into like people of political power and people yeah. like working in the UN mm -hmm. than like music artists and all. So like if I just see any person of any ethnic minority background and I see them in a position like working in the UN, for instance, yeah. like, I don't know, that just empowers me because I kind of know the struggle that they've been through, yeah. not just for black people, but people from the ethnic minorities, because it's not easy to like grow up, especially in this country. Because if you think about it, like, there's still a lot that's going on. Oh, yeah, and if we still see people that are able to come up, I just find that really inspiring. And I'm not saying people that do music and stuff are not inspiring yeah. at all, because it takes a lot of effort mm -hmm. and confidence to do that. But just to make a difference and to go against the stereotypes, yeah. like journalism, yeah. I feel like there isn't that many black female journalists out yeah. there. And I remember I was like with, at my friend's house and her mum was like to all of us, what do you want to do? Everyone was like, doctor, doctor, doctor. She's like, what do you want to do? And I was like, oh, I want to be a journalist. She's like, journalist, you cannot be a journalist. Da, 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 because the colour of your skin. And I was just like, whoa. Like, and I feel like if I manage to become a journalist, I'm like bringing that path out for other black yeah, girls as I well. Like so I don't know. I don't oh. have this set. How do I put this? I think I actually take issue maybe with the word or like the descriptor role model because I think that it can sometimes be a bit, it can be used in like a really reductive way because actually we, yeah, as you say, we draw inspiration from all different types of people and it's, it's almost like the only people who we allow to be role models or who the media allows to be role models are very famous people or people who have influence but actually maybe there's a lot more, you know, humble people who surround you, who you take, um, learnings from um so yes i do think it's important that that young black women have role models but i i don't know if they need to be um i don't know if they always need to be 
yeah in the public eye yeah exactly but um how do you feel like the media is portraying black females i think that um there are still a lot of reductive portrayals of, of black women within the media but there are also a lot of people who are fighting very hard to to push against that so i think that whenever we're kind of speaking about these issues we need to be specific right so like it's not so much we kind of make um these broad sweeping statements like the media is doing x to black women it's more that we say like you've noticed something specific and you call it out and you hold those people accountable because i think that that's in the long run probably more effective yeah yeah what or who inspires your work um it changes all the time as you might have guessed yeah but i think that in general um in terms of like my moral compass and how i try and steer myself through this world and through the industry i like lean on my dad a lot just because he is like um he's just like so so he's so sure of his like convictions like he's um he's so certain in the things that he believes in and like i feel like i'm fighting to get to that place because i think it can be easy to kind of be led astray by different, yeah. you know, um, people's opinions, uh, thoughts, actions, yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so um, I want to be like him when I grow up. <laughs> um, he's just, yeah, and he, you know, he's done so many different, he's a musician by trade, but like he's done so many different things and, you know, he's uh, just always been a very political and politicised person and I just never want to lose sight of the fact that like, when we're talking about issues to do with identity and race, they, we cannot separate them from, in my opinion, from like radical anti-racist left-wing politics. And to try and do so leads to situations like, you know, um, people declaring it a triumph when Kemi Badendok is like made a, like Secretary of State or whatever it is. Like, you know, it's not good enough just to have representation for representation's sake. It needs to have um, meaning yes. You can't just have like, I don't know, a black face just to show representation. Like you need a black face that's reaching out black, um, black empowerment, black positivity to be part of your community. That's why people just feel like people just do certain stuff just to tick a box yeah. of like, yeah. Or just put one person there. Yeah. Like that's like with the debate, like, you know, with the Black Panther movie, um, I was, was really intrigued by this because a lot of people were saying, oh, Black Panther, yeah, it's a good movie, but why is it only Marvel's black movie? Like, they're only just starting to tick a box to show that, like, yeah, we're doing Black Lives Matter mm -hmm. and stuff like that, so. Oh, how do you feel about the Disney princesses, some of them changing? What, mm -hmm. like, Tiana? Um, not Tiana, the uh, Ariel. Uh, Ariel, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. People's opinions were different on that, yeah, so yeah. I'm not sure. Oh wait, I love Chloe Bailey, so yeah. I'm like, yeah, come on. <laughs> and like, I had lots when I was going up as well, so just is like, it? yeah, yeah seeing like a little princess with lots. Yeah. With me, I never like, I don't know, when I first got locks, I wasn't really happy with it. It was like my parents' decision. Yeah, so like, I used to feel really ugly because like all the black girls, I used to be like, even to this day, they always have like weave, they always yeah. have like long braids and stuff. And I'm just like, 
I've just got my natural hair out and it's just like, it's not that nice. And then like, when I saw like, I first saw the twins, not twins, the sisters they on do, Grainish. I used to think they were twins <laughs> as well though. Yeah, yeah. I first saw them on Grainish and I was like, wait, is that their real hair? And then I saw them on Pinterest and I was like, wow, they're really showing off their real hair. So it kind of gave me more confidence in my locks. And I think I started styling it different ways. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, is that your head? So yeah, I really like them. So yeah. Yeah, yeah no, it's good to see you like, and like, we don't, we don't. Like, <laughs> Ariel can be whoever she's yeah. a fictional creature. It's okay. It's okay for her to be black. Yeah, it's okay for her to be black. <laughs> um, what song or piece of music have you inherited from your father and family that connects to their youth? Um, probably, well, because my family are musicians, so I get to listen to the music they made, which I just think is the most special thing. And they, for instance, they made like um, a song like the day I, or like the day before I was born or something like that, um, which is called Charlie. Um, so it's literally about me. <laughs> so that's one inheritance. But the song that my one of my dad's favourite songs is um, "Summer Breeze" by the Isley Brothers. Um, it's like "Summer Breeze makes me feel fine." That one is Ooh. yeah, which is like one of my favourite songs. So yeah, that makes me really happy, and it like. Summer is my favourite time of the year, so yeah. Aww, um, that's nice to hear. That's probably the one. <laughs> thank you, Charlie, and we wish that you continue your success. Yeah, thank you for talking to us. We appreciate no it. No Thank you for having me. You guys are fantastic interviewers. <laughs> Got strong features ahead of you if you want to pursue this path. So. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> cool.